We're going to look to Luke chapter 15 this morning. And I'm going to, I'd like to speak to you this morning about home. And a message that I have entitled Home Tugs. Home Tugs. Home Pulls. There's a draw about the idea of home. The very word home carries with it uh, an emotion. Home tugs at us. Home pulls at us. A number of years ago, there was a, a movie that was, it was certainly popular in our house. We had it on a VHS tape. That tells you how long ago it was. But it was a story of uh, two dogs, an older dog, a younger dog, and a cat that got left away from home somewhere. And um, the, kids, the kids loved this movie. They, they put it on and watched it time and time again. And so did I. But the dogs are trying to get back home, get back to their family. And, and at one point, the younger dog seems to want to give up. He doesn't want to go on. He's tired. And, and I think as I remember it, he suggested the older dog, let's just, let's just lay down. Let's just let's let it go. And the older dog and his, that wonderful Wilford Brimley voice, he says, I'm going home. And even in this like dog movie, Anna, it's, it's a powerful statement. And, and it, it elicits that, that emotion, that sense of the draw of going home. There's lots of songs. I was, there was one that I, I particularly didn't remember. I tried to find the title of it. But it, it has a number of verses talking about people that were in various different difficult situations. That, that The conclusion of each of these situations, each of the, these verses was, I'm going home. But as I looked, looked through the internet, as I googled this idea of songs about going home, they are, it's limitless. They just go on and on and on. And of course, uh, we, we think of uh, good old John Denver, take me home, country roads. I was in an establishment in Panama City, Panama, one time years ago. Had a jukebox. It was probably a Waffle House. Yeah, sure it was. <laughs> but somebody put all the change they could lay their hands on in the jukebox and played Take Me Home Country Roads over and over and over again. Take Me Home. It has a, has a certain ring to it. And for those of us that are what, am I a septuagenarian? Is that, is that right? 70-something? Well, anyway, 
It's not your business anyhow. <laughs> we all remember Simon and Garfunkel singing Homeward Bound. And I'm, I'm tempted to kind of, you know, sing out a couple, <laughs> but no, no, let's, let's pass that up. We've already covered that, you know, so Homeward Bound. Home. Comfort. Peace. Love. Family. Togetherness. The Robert Frost quote is, home is where they have to take you in. I, I know of, and this is not at all unusual, but I know of any number of newly married couples that go off on their honeymoon and will cut short their honeymoon in order to come home, in order to be at home. Home has a, a pull to it. Those of us that have experienced that traumatic first night at boot camp, I suspect we'll all remember the tears, the crying in the middle of the night. I want to go home. Probably all of us at one time or another can remember the experience of being a little bit homesick, away from home, wanting to go home. Home has a tug. Home, home has a pull. Home draws on us. So what is it about that idea? What is it about the word home that draws us? Well, Jesus told a story, that which we call a parable, that we have recruited, re written in Luke chapter 15. A story you're most likely familiar with, but a story that I want us to think about home as we consider this parable this morning. What was it about home and the parable of the prodigal son? Luke chapter 15, we take up at verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a, one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? 
I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So this... This very, very smart young man. It's actually quite remarkable how smart very young men can be. But this very smart young man knows his own mind. This very smart young man knows what he wants. And he knows that he wants it now. He is inclined to what we popularly know as instant gratification. A very popular idea in this day and age, as well as in the days when Jesus was telling the parable. This very smart young man knew that what he wanted, that what he wanted now, was not available at his father's house. As a matter of fact, he knew that his father would not look favorably on that which this very smart young man desired. It would not be permissible. That which he wanted was not allowed where his father lived. And so he had a rebellious spirit. He rebelled against the wisdom of his father who would not permit the kinds of things that this smart young man desired so ardently. And he refused his father's authority over what he wanted. And so he says to his dad, I'll take what's mine now, old man. And he takes it off and it's, it's very interesting to me that the Bible says not many days later. Yeah, yeah, I bet it wasn't many days later. He pockets what he's got and he heads off to a far land. He goes a ways. He has to get away from his father's house. He has to travel a long way to find what he's looking for, what he wants, what he desires. And when he gets in that far country with his pocket full of money, he has everything. Friends, lots of friends, all kinds of friends, everybody is with the guy 
with the money. He has friends and he has fun. He spends his money having fulfilling the desires that he has so wanted. And he feasts with his friends having fun on his funds. Inevitably, there's no doubt about where this story leads. Inevitably, invariably, without fail, it all runs out. You know, at this point, we see that the, the Bible makes some value statements. Our society, that woke crowd, if you will, if you don't know what a woke crowd is, uh, Anthony will explain it to you. <laughs> that woke crowd in our society hates this about the Bible. They hate that the Bible has value statements. You see, in the Bible, there is right and there is wrong. There's good and there's bad. In the Bible, it is understood there is that which is constructive and that which is destructive. There are two ways that the Bible sets before us. Two ways, and only two ways. The way of the Lord and the way of sin. This world, our society, doesn't like value statements. They like alternative lifestyles. They like lots and lots of gray area. They like, if it feels good, do it. Not so. Not so in Scripture and not so for this very smart young man. And the Bible tells us lived a reckless life. Reckless living. Out of control. No discipline, no authority. The way he was living was reckless. I kind of thought at this point, you know, all my life, and I've been a, been a Baptist, I was a little Baptist about that big, and, uh, and I've heard about the prodigal son all these years, and it dawned on me, what does prodigal mean? What does that word mean? And we've used it, we, we use it commonly, you know, if we speak of somebody that's kind of gone astray, gone off, we speak of them as the prodigal. Okay, fine. Duh, what does that mean? Well, it was a little bit surprising to me to open the dictionary and find out that prodigal means rashly or wastefully extravagant. Wow. No wonder he's called the prodigal son. Rashly or wastefully extravagant. Reckless living. 
And in this reckless living, the Bible says he squandered his property. Now, I wasn't absolutely certain what the dictionary said about squandered, but I knew I knew what that meant. I've squandered a little bit of stuff my own self. No profit in it. No gain. Wasted. Foolishly and unwisely throwing away what he possessed. And so the scripture tells us when he had squandered his property, he began to be in need. Now sometimes the Bible kind of kind of minimizes, you know, a statement. This is this is really, I mean, he began to be in need. Yeah, I bet he did. His belly was growling. His pockets were empty. His pride was wounded. His heart was broken. For there was no feast. There was no fun. And apparently there were no friends. For no one gave him anything. For he had no funds. And he's out there feeding the pigs with pods that he wanted to eat his own self. And it occurs to him home. He now thinks of home. Home tugs at him. And so it is when circumstances overwhelm us, when our needs become real. We need to, we need what we know we will find at home. This smart young man had experienced a failed fantasy. And now as home tucks, tugs at him, in his failed fantasy, and because at home he knew that he now might find a favorable future. At home, remember Robert Frost, home is where they have to take you in. And he thinks to himself, at home, there is plenty. There is plenty for everyone. At home, there is plenty for even the undeserving. The hired help at home are better off than I am. And I'm not sure he has a Wilford Brimley voice, but he says, I'm going home. This is a heart sermon. 
Some sermons are mind sermons. And hopefully all sermons are spirit sermons. But this is a, this is a heart sermon. I, I really don't intend that you learn anything this morning. But I do want you to feel something. I want you to see that young man in his devastated situation, in his hopeless situation, in his desperation. He's been stupid. This smart young man is now in a situation that he recognizes how stupid he really is. He, know, he knows what he's done. He, he knows that his fantasy has failed him. And he says, I'm going home. He knew that he didn't deserve to be allowed back in the house. He thought that through. He knew that his, his wrongdoing, his error, his sin was against God as well as against his father. Isn't that interesting that he recognizes that the offense that he has committed against his father is first of all an offense against God. He knew that his actions, his attitude, his arrogance, these had torn apart the bond at home. But he had a confidence, a confidence that confessing his sin, acknowledging his wrong, putting away his pride, humbling himself, that he had a more favorable future at home than he had in his present circumstance. I'm going home. If they'll forgive me, if they'll still have me, I'm going home. I've been away far too long. I've been away and done too much wrong. But now, I'm going home. He didn't write and say, send more money. He didn't curse his dad and scream, why did you let me get in this position? He didn't blame the economy, the education system, booze, drugs, or anything else. He said in his heart, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. Home tugs at us. And we can go home when we yearn for that favorable future that is ours in the presence of a faithful father. For our father will most assuredly 
not turn us away, but will provide for all our needs. And this is the point. We have said all of that to get to say this. The faithful father. For his father saw him a long way off. He could only see him a long way off if he had been watching for him, if he had been looking for him, if he had been desiring and yearning that that sun would appear over the hill at any time, any moment of any day. He kept watch, and he saw him a long way off. He saw him a long way off because his love made him watch. This faithful father, his son had abandoned, abandoned him, but he had not abandoned his son. And now he was coming home. He runs to meet him. There's no lecture. No, I told you so. No, what are you doing here? But rather, bring a clean robe. Bring, a, bring the ring that, when you put it on his finger, this identifies him as a member of the family and put shoes on his feet that shows he's part of the household, a part of the family, one of us. Forgiveness, love, blessings, celebration. He's home. There are so many failed fantasies. Romance. Money. Fame. Power. All of these seem to promise so much. Yet all of these fall short. And so it is that we're reminded in Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. We have a faithful Father and there is a favorable future. There is life. There is eternal life at home. For home is not a place. Home is a presence. Home is where the father awaits the wayward son. For with the faithful father, there is peace. There is joy, for he is the faithful father that we're reminded of in 1 John 1, 9 that says he is faithful. This is where God is identified as being faithful. He's faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins. So, you know, I, I, um, I had pretty much prepared the sermon, read, prayed, wrote. And then it's my practice, I usually look and see what um, others have said about this passage. And since in my dotage, I have given away most of my library, I, uh, I go to the internet, and I'm looking to see what other preachers have, you know. Uh, Dr. Moeller had not specifically preached the sermon from this text. I like him. It's good insight. But it dawned on me that you know who preached from Luke a few years ago. And um, I said, well, let's see if it's on the internet. And sure enough, there it was. Which, by the way, when I got to the internet, I knew that my sermon last Sunday was a really good one. Right? Because Ben took credit for it. Right? <laughs> so, but that's okay. I mean, that, you know, I don't know. That's fine. But sure enough, the Pastor Ben's sermon on, from, from this text was, was there on the internet. And, and man, what a good sermon it was. I mean, just, just you know, nailed it. But, <coughs> excuse me, he... He told us to, at this point, to look back at chapter, chapter 15, verse 1. And, and, and it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, The man receives sinners and eats with them. The man receives sinners. Amen. Thank you, Father. For such am I. And to be received by the Son of God is a miracle upon miracle. Jesus said in my Father's house, are many rooms. Now, some of the popular modern translations, they, um, they skip, you know, the, the old King James. And it says, in my father's house are many mansions. And the modern translators say, well, that's the wrong word. You know, in modern English, it's the idea of rooms. But when you look closely at it, there, there's nuance there. There's a little bit something more than just rooms. But it's okay to say rooms. I'm not going to argue with people that know more about the Greek language than I do, which is like Lydia, right? Um, but when Jesus says, in my father's house, and he's talking about the, the places to live, the, 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 you know, the, the places to, to stay. In the house of God, any place there is is going to be like a mansion. You can call it a room if you want, but it's in the house of God. It's, it's, it's the home of our heavenly Father, our faithful Father, who receives sinners. 
grace. Grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus told us that in his Father's house are many rooms so that we would know so that we would know that as we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have a home. Not a place, but a presence in my Father's house. An eternal home. As the Apostle wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, Home tugs at us. It is where we long to be. Yes, again in 2 Corinthians 5, we read, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I hope to see you when we get home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks once again for the power of your word and the presence of your spirit. And now, O oh God, as we commend unto you these promises, we pray that your grace might ever endure and that you would grant to us that confident assurance our faithful Father, who will give to us an eternal home in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.